While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. King of Prussia, which was not—it was not a city, but it was not in the middle of nowhere. Is that—is that right? Yeah, that's correct. It was a suburb. So, did you guys ever have a cat that, like, you fed once and then it became your cat just by default because it thought no, you could get food from you? We had neighbors who did that uh, until I would want to say until I was in middle school or maybe or even early high school. We had a cat. Uh. That was an outdoor cat that was really old um, for as long as I can remember. Okay. Uh, so we didn't feed strays because we fed that cat. Um, so occasionally we would put out food for her, but she would fight off other... She was a fighter. She would get in fights all the time. Sure, yeah. And ours, one ours, time she, she left us a bird after she'd taken its its head off. Aw, that means she likes you. Yeah, it was a, pre- it was a pretty good present. <laughs> It was the best Christmas ever at the at the getting house. Did you did you own a bunch of stray cats? Is that what you're telling no, me? No, I'm just saying we had one that we fed and her name was Shadow because she was all gray. She was like a lighter gray. And then she got pregnant once and then she had six kittens. Oh no. And um Yeah, my my dad had this little shed that he kept he had like his motorcycle in there and he just did like tinkery stuff out in that shed and so there was this corner of this this dilapidated crappy shed that he had <laughs> where um where shadow set up and had her kittens and they were just these little i just little you could hold them in your hand and they were they didn't even look like cats no, kittens, baby kittens look really weird. Like baby, baby kittens. Usually, most places won't let you adopt until they're eight weeks old. Well, yeah, baby kittens' like... ears don't look right. Right. And so she, like, they were there for a while, and then she carried them all off somewhere, and we didn't know where they were, and then we refound them again when they were, like, maybe five or six weeks old, and it looked a little bit more like kittens, but... They all they all just became our cats. Like we put <laughs> we put food out and we had like Shadow Peace after a while. She wasn't even around that much anymore because her kittens had just She had, couldn't take being a mom. Yeah, she, she went just, to go find herself. She went to go live in a commune or something. How Shadow got her, her groove back. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, you like I have distinct memories, and probably there are pictures sitting somewhere or something that I, I I'll find someday when I'm going through them all. But there were, you know, they they had there were different degrees of friendliness among the cats, and so there was one that was really into people and really into being petted, and so he would come over and you'd pet him and he'd cuddle up on your lap, and then like in order of friendliness, they all would come and sit in your lap after that. They, so there are pictures their names? of okay there was uh flea bite was the <laughs> friendliest one my mom named him 
Um, and he was he was an orange cat who like lifting him up was like lifting up a sock, like a sock full of more socks. <laughs> and um, I don't remember all their names. There was Fleabite. There was Butterfinger, who was like a fat orange one. Uh-huh. Um, there was Snowball, who was white, and then the others, I don't recall. How original. I know. Yeah, we were... Pr- Look, listen, man. We had six cats to name. <laughs> Steve, Joseph, I guess Thorne, we Oak got, and Shield. I, I guess we could have found a theme or something. We could have named them after Brady Bunch kids or something. But... Well, let's think about this. If there are... How many Beatles were there, there including were non-canonical Beatles? What do you mean by non-canonical Beatles? Like, they're not on the Abbey Road cover. Like, do you mean, like, their manager, Brian Epstein, who died in 1967? Do you mean their first drummer, Pete Best, who they fired to hire Ringo right before they got big? Do you mean their producer, George Martin, who is considered to have as much influence over their music as they themselves did? Like, who you, who do you, who do you mean, Craig? Well, I guess if you had named <laughs> the mother after... Epstein or George Martin, George R. R. Martin, who founded the Beatles in A Song of Ice and Abbey Road. He d- <laughs> I really hope I got all those names right because I really sounded like I was trying. I also know that there are other albums other than Abbey Road. <laughs> There's like Abbey Road, Sgt. Pepper. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Road. Yes, uh, Pet Sounds. Um, um, the Beatles Four. That's my favorite. Yeah, one. Beatles Four is good. Which is the uh, one with "Hey Hey, Where the Monkeys" on it? Is that is that smells like Teen Spirit? Yes, that's the name of that album. I think that's pretty good. That's a good one. Welcome to Overdue. <laughs> this is a podcast about the books and Beatles you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Is that part of Beatles song? Sing song. <laughs> Uh, and wel- welcome to your favorite and my new favorite um, Beatles trivia podcast, in addition to the books that we talk about. Yeah, I mean, that. what's what's your favorite Beatles song? My favorite Beatles song is um, Can't Get No Satisfaction. My favorite might be Under the Sea. Under the, yeah, that's that's kind of a... It's like a hidden track, that's I think. The one that's one where, a... where Paul's like, you've got to kiss the girl, right? That's what Paul <laughs> sings. And he's Not singing to John. did you pick a Little Mermaid song, but then the sample of the Little Mermaid song that you sang was a different Little Mermaid song than the one that you named. So That's my favorite part of that song. Congratulations for make messing up the goof. So when we're not messing up goofs, um, we are talking about books or stories or plays uh, that one of us read, and we're telling it to the other one of us so that you, the listener at home, can either get interested and go read it or say to your friends at a cocktail party that you heard about that once and here's a fact that you learned. Uh, that is our mission <laughs> and our service. Maybe, you could, maybe you'll learn enough to pretend like you read the book. I feel like I've done that a couple times. I would be proud if people people listened to our podcast and then did that. Yeah. Uh so what did you read this week, Andrew? All right. I was uh I was I was out this weekend doing some wedding planning stuff, which went very well, but it meant that I did not have a lot of time for reading. So I read a short story by Mark Twain 
uh, called The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County. <laughs> okay, that's a pretty good title. It's a good Who's title. Mark Twain? Uh, Mark Twain is this guy. He um, He's an author. He's from America. Is he also a beetle? Um, he was. On? He's commonly known as the seventh beetle. Okay. He there. There was a fifth, and then the sixth. Well, he and John and Lennon got together, and then the rest of the Beatles kind of broke up. Right? Is that what happened? I don't even know. <laughs> what are you even riffing on anymore? <laughs> so, who was Mark Twain really, though? Uh, Mark Twain was his pen name. His real name was Samuel Langhorn Clemens, and his um. His pen name came from his time on riverboats. And so you'd have this guy who was like marking the depth of the water. And if the water was two feet deep, he'd say, Mark Twain. <laughs> and then Mark Twain would come running. Like, what do you need? No, it's, that's where it's. <laughs> he didn't think his name was Mark Twain. <laughs> that's just where his pen name came from. No, no, I know. And he's he's considered by many to be like the father of American literature, like the great American author. He lived from 1835 to 1910, so we're talking about, um, I guess, not quite America's coming of age. I feel like America's real coming of age on the global stage is like World War One, World War Two, but definitely yeah, well, like like in the like in the thick of the Civil War and a lot of like a lot of our growing pains, I guess. Well, and and we'll probably get into it a little bit, but. Twain's literary influence doesn't really kick into full gear until after the Civil War anyway. Um, so he's kind of part of that late 19th century literary uh, world that across the sea encapsulates folks like Oscar Wilde. You mm -hmm. know, that kind of... Uh, he's a bit of a satirist, right? Yeah, definitely a satirist. Mark Twain. Yeah. <laughs> and the story I read today is is very... It's very humorous and very like it's called the celebrated jumping frog of Calaveras County, but that is not all that it's about. So, yeah, all right. Um, is there anything interesting about Mark Twain that you kind of wanted to talk about, Andrew? I mean, Mark or... Twain is just all over the place. I, yeah. I will. What other Mark Twain have you read? Because I read I mean, I read Tom Sawyer ages ago, like long enough ago that I don't remember a lot. And I've never read Huck Finn. Is Tom Sawyer the one where they paint the fence? Yes. Because I haven't read that one. <laughs> I've read Obviously. Huck Finn. I've All read right. Huck Finn. I have not read Huck Finn, so we're... Together we have read... Together we've read his most famous work. His two most famous works. Uh, I feel like I've read one or two other short stories or, or essays that he's written, but I couldn't name them. Um, I think that's how I encountered the idea of Mark Twain as someone other than the guy who wrote Huck Finn. Right. Know? Like he, he did a lot of, he did a lot of stuff. Like he did short stories. He did a lot of travelogues. Um, there was a time when he was in dire financial straits, actually, where he was writing a lot just in an attempt to pay the bills. Like he had, um, kind of in, in the middle, like, you know, middle to late middle part of his life, he had a tendency to back unsuccessful projects. Well, he um, was really into like science and and weird stuff. Yeah, he too, liked right? science stuff. Like he hung out with uh, Nikola Tesla, 
Um, Edison recorded a brief video of him that I believe is the only extant video of of Mark Twain. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's funny that he that he hung out with both Tesla and Edison because Edison did everything he could to kill uh, yeah. Like I, I don't I don't know everything about that little that little conflict, but my understanding is that they were not friends. <laughs> There's another uh, really good trivia podcast that i listened to a lot called good job brain and one of their refrains early in their run was whenever uh, tom tom edison would come up they'd be like he's a jerk you don't realize (laughs) they would take pains to remind you that thomas edison is a bit of a jerk um but you were saying about later in his life he he was just kind of writing all the time well um he he did eventually get all of his his financial debt settled actually he filed for bankruptcy protection but then later on, once he was a little more, um, once he was on more solid ground, he went back and repaid all of his original debtors, even though he didn't have to do that anymore. Like, oh, which was I thought was kind of cool. Like, go to, go yeah. to you, Mark Twain. I like that. Um, one of the inventions that he backed that did a just a really bad, bad, just a bad job. <laughs> It's called the Page Compositor, uh, P-A-I-G-E, not like P-A-G-E. Like the name Page? Uh, yeah, developed by James W. Page. Okay. Um, and it was, I mean, you know, it, it was related to the, the printed word on a P-A-G-E page. Um, it was designed to replace the human typesetter of a printing press. Which he had been earlier in his life yeah. which is kind of weird yeah um it was designed to replace that but it was really unreliable like when it worked it was great but it was really unreliable it broke all the time and um so yeah uh twain invested three hundred thousand dollars into this into this invention total which is about six million dollars oh no in current in current monies <laughs> Mark Twain, you got suckered. Oh, yeah, so like he wanted to do something cool, but then yeah, it was it just it didn't end up that good. Um, what was the invention that is oh the linotype or linotype? He also tried to invent like I think he he backed you know, he kickstarted or whatever like <laughs> a replacement for suspenders. I don't remember how it was supposed to work, but it was supposed to be some sort of like alternative to suspenders. And you could tell how that caught on. <laughs> I mean, I don't even think original suspenders are doing that great anymore. So, <laughs> Well, you don't live in the right part of the New York area, I guess. I think <laughs> suspenders are doing if I li- If I lived in Brooklyn, I would be wearing only <laughs> suspenders is what you're saying. Um, one of the other things that I found interesting about Mark Twain was... In addition to his interest in science, there was also an interest in uh, like parapsychology and kind of superstitious psychic stuff. He was one of the earlier uh, people to get involved with like the Society of Psychical Study or whatever in America, um, which would later get go under attack from folks like Harry Houdini. Mm-hmm. But he also was really superstitious about or at least not superstitious, but interested in the fact that he was born within two weeks of Halley's Comet. Yeah, I thought I Earth. thought that was really interesting. He um 
He was born shortly after a visit by Halley's Comet, and he, toward the end of his life, predicted, you know, as the comet came back around, that he would, he would go out with it. Was his it, exact was his exact word? And yeah, he did. Like within a week of it coming back around, he died. The the exact the the full quote that's attributed to him is, "I came in with Halley's Comet in 1835. It is coming again next year, and I expect to go out with it. It will be the greatest disappointment of my life if I don't go out with Halley's Comet." <laughs> the Almighty has said, no doubt. Now here are those here are these two unaccountable freaks. They came in together. They must go out together, which is cool. Yeah. And then there's an asteroid named after him, which I think is kind of like a neat little no, coda. Neat. Asteroid 2362, Mark Twain. Cool. And, um, yeah, I, I was reading through his family history, and he had a lot of siblings who died. and um, One of them died on a steamboat explosion. Yes, and actually that was, that was another thing that fed into his like parapsychology is he invited one of his brothers to come work with him on a riverboat, and he had a dream about his brother dying, and then he did later. And yeah. he, I mean, he basically, he felt guilty about it for the rest of his life, apparently. Yeah, I mean. Which sucks, so, like, right? That's the that's worst. Awful. I'm going to get really into steamboats. Why don't you come with me? I'm, I'm gonna making start, a real heavy bet on steamboats. I'm going to start calling you Steamboat Willie. Me? Yes. I wish your name was Willie so it worked Cause a little I'm bit a better. Because I'm a talkie? I mean, I guess your middle name is William, right? One of them, yeah. Oh, man, I could call you Steamboat Willie. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, let's get this show on the road. All right, Steamboat Willie, what do you want to know? Right, well, while we're talking about names real quick, I do just want to share the fact that Thomas, Thomas, Tom, Mark Twain, whoa, Mark Twain, <laughs> oh, man, Steamboat Willie, get it together. He also wrote under at least two other pen names, including uh, Thomas Jefferson Snodgrass. <laughs> And he's attributed to several humorous and imaginative sketches as Josh. <laughs> Josh. <laughs> Which I think is pretty great. Yeah, that's a, that's another cool thing is um, because he wrote under so many pen names and because a lot of his lectures and things were not written down or not, you know, not written down that we know of, um, we're still finding new stuff. Um, yeah, and, that's kind of really and cool. It, yeah, as recently as 1995. Uh, people have discovered new things written by Mark Twain. So the American Shakespeare, Mark yeah. Twain. Except we know a ton about Mark Twain. <laughs> That's true. Where we know like three things about Shakespeare. Whatever. Tell me about this story. Let's not get on that whole Shakespeare. Who was Shakespeare nonsense? Have we read Shakespeare for this show yet? Yeah, I read Antony and Cleopatra. Oh, okay. I thought it was weird. That's maybe that, that must have been before we spent a lot of time talking about authors. Yeah, yes. Okay. But uh yeah, Mark Twain's a cool guy. There's a lot of stuff about him. Like there are a lot of, he has a lot of views on various like he, you know, views on slavery and imperialism and and labor and all kinds of stuff that we're not even going to have time to get into here, but he's a really really fascinating guy and and you owe it to yourself to at least skim his Wikipedia article. <laughs> I if found... you're not if you're not actually going to do any work. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, okay. So what is this story? You you plucked this one. This was his first major short story. The the Jumping Frog, what is it called? The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County. Okay. And um it it has been it's it's 
known under several titles, I guess. It's uh, also been published as Jim Smiley and his Jumping Frog and the Notorious Jumping Frog of Calaveras County. And, um, yeah, what's I don't it about? Know. What's, like, this, what do you what's know? the deal with this frog? Just tell me the story. Okay. <laughs> what's so great about this frog? So here's part of the deal with Mark Twain, and here, and it's something that you'll know, I think, if you've read Tom Sawyer or Huck Finn, is that he's like something that he's really known for is he captures dialect really well. Yeah, that was he was part of like the first wave of people to capture a quote unquote American dialect, right? Right. So he's he's really good at capturing um, like anecdotes and um, colloquialisms and things. Um. So I'm I'm that doesn't factor into the plot, which I'm going to relay in a second. But it just it's a big part of reading the story is that mm. you, you know, it's all it's all delivered in this in this sort of dialect, and and you have these weird little terms and and grammatical oddities that just come up because <laughs> because that's that's like the mood he's trying to capture. Yeah. Okay. So. The um the unnamed narrator and in the the illustrations in the ebook version that I read it just looks like Mark Twain so sorry <laughs> let's Who assume knows? let's assume that it's a fictionalized version of Mark Twain so Mark Twain walks Mark, into a bar Mark Twain is um he's looking for a guy looking for an acquaintance named Leonidas W Smiley that's such a good name and uh, he's sent by somebody to ask this guy, Simon Wheeler, about the whereabouts of Leonidas W. Smiley. And so he gets to this, I, I, I don't know that it's a bar, but let's just call it a bar for the sake of Mark Twain walks into a bar. Mark he's Twain walks for... into a bar. He's looking for Leonidas W. Smiley. He wants to talk to Simon Wheeler about it. His names are so good. <laughs> he says, hey, Simon Wheeler, do you know this guy, Leonidas W. Smiley? And Simon Wheeler says, well... I don't know Leonidas W. Smiley, but I knew this guy named Jim Smiley, and he proceeds to tell the narrator a bunch of stories about Jim Smiley. <laughs> okay. And that's like the that's the framing device for this book is, well, I don't know anything about the guy you're looking for, but here are some unrelated yarns. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> uh, Jim Smiley is known for his love of betting. Okay. I've heard that about him. Um, if he if he even see a straddle bug start to go anywhere, so he would bet you how long it would take him to get to to wherever he was going to. And if you took him up, he would follow that straddle bug to Mexico. But what he would find out where he was bound for and how long he was on the road. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So basically, if you saw a bug, Jim Smiley would bet you where that bug was going. And if you said, all right, I'll take that bet. He would follow that bug around until right. that bug got where he was going. All right. <laughs> how do you wait? How do you know when a bug has gotten where it's going? I don't know, but Jim Smiley does. Okay. Uh, there Anything is else? this. Uh, Jim Smiley had a horse. Uh, boys called her the fifteen-minute nag because it always looked like when she started a race that she was gonna she was running really slow and she was never gonna catch up, and it took her, you know. In theory, it took her like 15 minutes to get going, but then at the end of the race, she'd start running crazy, and she'd end up beating the other horses. He was an accomplished horse trainer, he yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Jim Smiley also had a dog named Andrew Jackson. That's great. And Andrew Jackson would get into dog fights with other dogs, and it would look like Andrew Jackson was going to lose, but then his his uh, finishing move was to lock his jaw onto the back legs of the other dog until the other dog just gave up. But Andrew Jackson lost once when he went to bite the back leg of a dog that had had his back leg sawed off. <laughs> So, like, imagine me, like, Susanna is out taking a walk, and I'm, you know, I'm lying in bed just enjoying some alone time reading this book. Uh Uh-huh. And I, you know, I've chosen this book. It's called The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County, and I'm reading the story about a dog fight. And this guy, Jim Smiley, and like, when is this book going to get to the thing that it's supposed to be about? <laughs> so is the, is the working theory that this like happened to Mark Twain? Because I, I want to say I read somewhere that, that it's sort of based on a story he heard. But now that I know that it's just a collection of nonsense, I don't know if that holds up. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a whole backstory behind the story. There's a lot of stuff that we'll we'll get to, but um, yeah, it's it's based on an anecdote, I guess that that he heard. Is is this just the aristocrats? Like, <laughs> he's kind of constructed all this all this other Americana around it. I mean, it's um, a Shaggy Dog story, right? So... It's... It's like here the it's a dog and all this other stuff and the dog wasn't very shaggy like the original shaggy dog story, <laughs> not the one with Tim Allen. Not the one real. With Tim. I was just thinking about Shaggy Dog with Tim Allen. Um, so finally we hear about we hear about Jim Smiley and he bets on anything that moves, and we hear about the fifteen minute nag and we hear about the dog Andrew Jackson, and then we finally get to the frog. Okay. Uh, Jim Smiley caught a frog and he named it Daniel Webster. What did he name it? Daniel Webster. Like like Daniel Webster, but yeah. you don't have time to say all the yeah, words. I mean, D A N apostrophe L Webster. But yeah, like Daniel Webster. It's like when I call you Anru. I I, I can't be troubled for that D. <laughs> Listen, man, you got time for vowels, but you don't have time for all those consonants. Steamboat You're... Willie don't have time for all those consonants. <laughs> Uh, so he catches a frog, names it Daniel Webster, and for three months he teaches Daniel Webster to jump. <laughs> he catched a frog one day and took him home, and he said he calculated to educate him. And so he never done nothing for three months but sat in his backyard and learned that frog to jump. And you bet you he did learn him, too. He'd give him a little punch behind, and the next minute you see that frog whirling in the air like a donut. See him turn one somerset, maybe a couple if he got a good start, and come down flat-footed and all right. Just a cat. Just like a cat. <laughs> I really like the ver- like the transitive verb learn. I really He'd like- learn him. I really like learning people. I'm going <laughs> to learn you some stuff. I, I like that, too. That sounds really aggressive, which I'm kind of into. <laughs> and so... Uh, uh, Jim Smiley learns Daniel Webster how to jump. Wait, but wait, wait, wait. Did it say why? 
No, he just said he was, he caught this frog. He was gonna learn him how to jump. Oh my god. Okay. Okay, Jim. Okay, what's your what's your what's your game? What's your All angle? Right. So this stranger comes along one day. And Jim Smiley says, well, this frog's the best to jump in in all of Calaveras County. And the stranger says, well, he doesn't look, he doesn't look like anything special. He doesn't look like, he doesn't look like, he doesn't look different from any other frog. And Jim Smiley says, well, I'll bet you 40 bucks that he can jump higher than any other frog that you can find. And the stranger says, okay, I'll take that bet if you go and catch me another frog and then we'll compare him. So Jim Smiley goes out to catch another frog, and the stranger fills Daniel Webster up with buckshot. What? And uh, Jim Smiley comes back with the other frog. They each tap their frog, and you know the regular one jumps like a regular frog would, and Daniel Webster can't get off the ground because he's full of buckshot. Why isn't he dead? He's full of buckshot. Listen, man, it's not important. Okay. <laughs> Poor Daniel Webster. So the stranger gets his forty bucks. He walks away, and Jim Smiley is like, "Well, why isn't this frog jumping anymore? Like, what's wrong with him?" And he he sees that he looks kind of bloated. He picks him up by his back legs, and all the buckshot comes spilling out of his mouth. Oh my god! And Jim Smiley goes chasing after the stranger, but he can't find him. So he's he's out those forty bucks. And uh, after the frog story. Uh, Simon Wheeler, who's telling this story, is called away by somebody. And the narrator is like, well, obviously this guy does not know anything about Leonidas W. Smiley. So he slips out as Simon Wheeler is trying to regale him about the story about Jim Smiley's one-eyed cow. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the end? And that's the story. Oh, my good God. But you laughed a lot, right? (laughs) just like it's it's almost not a story like it barely hangs together that's the point and the fact like the only thing that makes it a story is that it's a bunch of non-stories with this like flimsy frame narrative set up around it oh my god and so much of the fun about it is just reading you know reading the turns of phrase like he's gonna learn this frog to jump (laughs) And that the dog's name is Andrew Jackson, and the frog's name is Daniel Webster. Like, it's just... are there are there points where the narrator is like, "This is crap." Does no, that... the, the narrator is present at the beginning, and then he interrupts again at the end. But the bulk of the story is just this one unbroken, oh my god, side story from Simon Wheeler. <laughs> That's I okay. I didn't know about the buckshot thing. I will confess, I was kind of skimming a little bit about this story, and I thought that it was gonna go Michigan J Frog at the end. <laughs> I thought that he was gonna open the box, and he just wasn't gonna jump. I thought that's what was gonna happen. But. Just, I I'll I'll read you part of the story because I mean I told you what happens, but knowing what happens is only part of the point. Okay. So one day a feller, a stranger in the camp he was, come across him with his box and says, what might it be that you've got in the box? And Smiley says, sort of indifferent, like, it might be a parrot or it might be a canary maybe, but it ain't. It's only just a frog. (laughs) And the feller took it and looked at it careful and turned it round this way and that and says, hmm, so tis. Well, what's he good for? 
Well, Smiley says, easy and careless. He's good enough for one thing, I should judge. He can outjump any frog in Calvaris County. The feller took the box again and took another long, particular look and gave it back to Smiley and says, very deliberate, well, he says, I don't see no points about that frog that's any better than any other frog. (laughs) Maybe you don't, Smiley says. Maybe you understand frogs and maybe you don't understand them. Maybe you've had experience and maybe you ain't only an amateur, as it were. Anyways, I've got my opinion and I'll risk $40 that he can outjump any frog in Calaveras County. Oh my god. And so it takes, even to tell the story that's here, (laughs) it takes the long way around. But it's just, (laughs) you enjoy reading that and like hearing that dialect so much. Oh man. That's like the fun of of the story, I guess. Oh god. I should be careful that this is going to happen as twere. Like, (laughs) oh man. I says to Mabel, I says. I says to (laughs) Mabel. We were we were uh we were at the doctor's this morning and there was a sign in the in the office that said uh to ensure the best care be sure to give all the forms your doctor gives you at checkout. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. To ensure the best care be sure to give all the forms the doctor gives you at checkout. That there's I mean, a there's a couple missing things in that sentence. Well, like it's it's a thing where you can like divine what it means, but <laughs> it really should be clearer in the first place. I get out my dousing rod and I, <laughs> I totally understand where that sentence is going. But yeah, there's like extra words that repeat themselves, and there's there's missing clauses and objects. That's the fun of of busted language. Like that. <laughs> I mean, there's a sort of poetry to it because it like. It it lands on certain things in a satisfying way, and I think Twain knew that because he also he got into I don't know if he ever did this story live or not, but he kind of did proto stand up on the lecture circuit. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, this, you know, some of the turns of phrase in this story they read awkwardly, but then when you read them out loud, you can hear you can hear sort of the. Um, the what what even is the word that i want you you can just hear the 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 sense that this would be the kind of story that somebody would tell around a around a fireplace or something like a like a bar story or something you you can hear the person saying it you know in a way that you can't really see somebody sitting down and intentionally writing something that sounds like this yeah 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 i mean kind of what we were saying we were talking about mark twain earlier he is this kind of book of miscellany himself right he like worked on steamboats he was a typesetter he was part of the confederate army for two weeks yeah, he right. ran away to nevada and worked in a mine until he was bad at it and started he was writing friend, the news friends with scientists friends like, he with traveled scientists. all over the world like he was just so he was he's all over yeah he's kind of got this mishmash of of people that were through his life and it sounds like he was able to record a lot of that in his in his writing yeah he was able to capture a lot of it i think which was which is good had a good ear for it yeah um so so there's there's a little more about the story that um that this particular ebook has in it this this ebook i bought on amazon for 99 cents and i just i wanted to mention the ebook specifically because 
it's not like quote unquote official. Like oh. it's been it's been published because the story is old enough that it isn't protected by copyright anymore. So So it's almost like I'm a huge Mark Twain fan and I used my Gutenberg version. Right. Like you and I could have typeset this and put it up on Amazon and sold it. And that's I mean that's that's one I guess criticism of these older ebooks on Amazon is often they're just put together by whoever and you don't yeah, have any yeah. way of verifying their authenticity. Like this this seems pretty carefully put together. Um so I'm not you know I'm not inclined to criticize that much but what but you were saying there were other there was other stuff in it that was interesting. Yeah, so there are lots of things that I guess surround this story. Like there was um, there was a, a French review of it that went up, and with that review came a version of the story that had been translated into French. Oh, okay. And so Twain, in, or in in whatever published version this ebook author was working off of, Twain had also reprinted the French version of it, and then he had retranslated it into extremely literal like second year french oh no he translated it back into english oh no and he did a really like you know again like intentionally literal intentionally bad job of it i guess sort of to drive home what was lost about like the colloquialism and the dialogue oh kind of like when you're in the french language purposefully have fun playing with google translate two ways yeah yeah Yeah. and so it's just a really like intensely mangled version of the story that appears um let me let me see how twain actually uh describes it here because the turn of phrase that he uses is really (laughs) really condescending and really terrible um he says, uh, the frog jumping of the county of Calaveras. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty much how the entire how the entire translation goes down. I teach the frog to jump. I wager dollars, francs on his jumping. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. All right, here here is here is a foreword from Twain about about the translator and about how very offended Twain seemed by by the treatment of his work. Um he has not translated it at all. He has simply mixed it all up. It is no more like the jumping frog when he gets through with it than I am like a meridian of longitude. <laughs> but my mere assertion is not proof. Wherefore, I print the French version, that all may see that I do not speak falsely. Furthermore, in order that even the unlettered may know my injury and give me their compassion, I have been at infinite pains and trouble to retranslate this French version back into English, and to tell the truth, I have well nigh worn myself out at it, having scarcely rested from my work during five days and nights. I cannot speak the French language, but I can translate very well, though not fast, (laughs) I being self-educated. I ask the reader to run his eye over the original English version of The Jumping Frog and then read the French or my retranslation and kindly take notice how the Frenchman has riddled the grammar. I think it is the worst I ever saw, and yet the French are called a polished nation. If I had a boy that put sentences together as they do, I would polish him to some purpose. Oh, my God. 
let, let the listeners know that you had already read this and you just fell out of your chair laughing. I know. It's <laughs> Twain just has that effect, right? Like he's He's really good. He's just got a way of speaking and a way of making his points. Like he has a directness about him, I guess, that's that's really gripping and really entertaining. Like even even if you're expecting to be entertained, you there's a way that he turns a phrase that is really that's really great. A particular wit that he is. And I think I think some of that comes with not just being able to write but also n- being able to write something that can be spoken. Mm-hmm. You know, um language often that particular type of language where where you're setting up things that uh kind of are very pleasing to the ear rely on that on that sense where you you set up ideas in the exact right order yeah and that's that's the kind of thing that is lost in translation especially with um languages like spanish and french where like adjective order and and stuff is not as important as the way that you've conjugated the words it's actually far worse in something like german um i don't know i can't find a quote but i know that twain actually gave a lecture on on german that sounded to be uh, it seems to be something of a of a tirade. About German <laughs> language. Um, he's a good he's a good guy for a tirade. Is Mark Twain? Um, the other the other story about this book is about um, somebody told him that there it was a Greek story and that it had happened. Uh, there was this guy named Professor Sidgwick who who told him it was a Greek story and that it happened almost verbatim like 2000 years before and he found this greek translation of the same story where like this guy had this frog and a guy came up and challenged him to a contest and then he filled the frog with stones so it would lose and um so for you know for many years twain believed that this had happened before and it actually it made him kind of happy here's here's the direct quote from twain um, when i became quint- convinced that the jumping frog was a greek story two or three thousand years old i was sincerely happy for apparently here was a most striking and satisfactory justification of a favorite theory of mine to wit that no occurrence is sole and solitary but is merely a repetition of a thing which has happened before and perhaps often um and then eventually he learns that the you know professor sidgwick had just translated a summary of the jumping frog story into greek and had not really attributed it oh and so it was just it's it's an original story after all or at least there's no recorded version of the story that has happened before yeah i mean and, for for uh twain to believe that i think you have to assume that he had perhaps heard a version of this story somewhere you know, he had heard this tall tale or a tall tale like it before. Well, he, I mean, I'm sure that had he, if he heard this, this was the, ver- that was the version he was writing down. Yes. And so yes, he had yes, discovered this separate incidents of the story, you know, supposedly having happened like 2000 years ago on the other side of the globe. And it gave him a certain satisfaction. And I, I kind of get that. Like, do you ever, are you ever doing something kind of. I don't even know that it's weird, but just something really specific and you're wondering that 
you know what the odds are that one of the other like seven billion people on the earth is doing the same thing at the same time as you have you ever thought about that the same thing at the same time maybe i think i caught myself today wondering if obama complains about traffic <laughs> like he I... creates all the traffic problems like what does he have to complain about but he just i mean he's not the one driving himself for at least for the past couple years now right um and probably not for many years to come um but he probably still complains about it just like well, we all he, complain about traffic everybody's gotta make small talk about stuff that they don't really care about like like surely Obama talks about the traffic. Obama talks about the weather. <laughs> like, yeah, he enjoys. He probably enjoys sunshine, just like all of us do. Obama probably knows how your local sports team is doing, just because that's that's his. I'm sure that's something that he's briefed on before he goes to a specific town. Yeah, I don't know how he fills out that NCAA bracket, man. He he can't. Fo- he cannot have time to follow basketball that well does he not have like a secretary of b-ball that helps him it's out a with b-ball all czar he has a b-ball czar, a b-ball czar. it's not an actual cabinet position <laughs> uh but no sometimes i also think if i'm like preparing food or something particularly something that's Kind of like I'm just cutting open a vegetable or something. Yeah, like something like cavemen really. Cavemen have been doing that for years. Yeah, commonplace. Like a caveman would crack open an onion with a club. I don't know. I don't think that's a thing that happened. <laughs> well, a caveman is using a club on an onion. They hadn't invented knives yet. I don't know. <laughs> what is this small white apple? Let me hit it. I want to saute these mushrooms, but we haven't invented fire. <laughs> I heard it goes really good with steak. What's steak? I'm going to go a, kill this deer. What's a steak? <laughs> I'm going to eat this saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> Steve, I need help killing the saber-toothed tiger. I hope they invent Applebee's soon. <laughs> I would really like to eat good in my neighborhood. <laughs> um, is there anything Have you else heard about- the legend of the unlimited <laughs> breadsticks? Like, it's... <laughs> What is this garden full of olives? Um, I think that's pretty much all I have about the jumping frog of Calaveras County. Because uh, there's there's two follow up things that I that I want to talk about. Okay, uh, one hit, is hit me with them on uh, the website for the Mark Twain Museum, um, which I actually don't know if that's in Missouri or where that is. Um, I should know, and I don't, so there you <laughs> right. go. Good job. Um, end of that story. But they have um, some fun quotes about Mark Twain from different people, one of which is Helen Keller, who he met, and you know, she said that he makes you feel his heart is a tender Iliad of human sympathy, which is very nice of her to say. Uh, William Taft was a fan. Ernest, Ernest Hemingway was a fan. Also a fan, Benito Mussolini. <laughs> <laughs> it takes all kinds, I guess. <laughs> and Thomas Edison, um, which I just thought was, I was like, oh, look at that. Hemingway and Taft and Richard Kipling. Mussolini, <laughs> he remains one of his preferred authors, he said. Man, that's like got like a six degrees of Mark Twain thing going on with some of these people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. He's a hub. He is a ooh, he's one of those 
locust people. Not locusts, but locusts. No, he's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Without a T. What? Without a T. Yes. The other thing I want to talk about is that uh, Huck Finn is, and I, I think Tom Sawyer too, but most I, I've heard about it more for Huck Finn, is was a long-contested band book. Yes. Uh, mostly through its use of, of language, uh, particularly the N-word, because that's you know the name of one of the characters in the book um and laura put a link on our facebook page which we can uh talk about a little later in the show about what that is um that are the top 10 challenged books uh by year for like the past 10 years why don't we talk about why don't we talk about it now well i want to talk about this i'm not going to talk about our facebook page right now all right sure um, but there's just a couple on the 2013 list that I thought were interesting. Uh, and these are recorded by the Office for Intellectual Freedom, um, which is part of the ALA, the Library Association. And number one, Captain Underpants. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that. And it's so... Have you ever read a Captain Underpants book? No, I think I had a kid in an acting class once try to like riff on it, and all he did was make fart jokes. Yeah, like, they're they're kind of juvenile, but that's pretty much all they are, is it's just... It's sort of cute, sort of smart for, you know, seven or eight-year-old toilet humor. Yeah. And I find it, I find it really interesting that that earns a, earns a spot on the banned book list alongside... Stuff with the N word in it, well, and like what else? What else is on this list? Um, the Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, which I don't know, but I'm familiar with some Toni Morrison book. And there's just, books. I assume Toni Morrison. It's got to be more serious language, know. and it says it's sexually explicit. Um, there's some violence. Uh, number four, Fifty Shades of Grey. Ooh, how is Captain Underpants on the same list as Fifty Shades? The one thing I don't know is one of the reasons cited is religious viewpoint. Do you remember anything in that book? Sex before marriage? Vampirism? No, there were no vampires in Fifty Shades of Grey. That's a debate for another day. Um... (laughs) Number five is The Hunger Games, which I can understand that. <laughs> hey, kids, welcome to the library. Read a book about killing each other. Let's go. Hey, kids, here's a knife. One of you can leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, and then there's a couple others. I, I, I haven't read Perks of Being a Wallflower. Um, one of the reasons is homosexuality and sexually explicitness sexual explicitness um so i can understand why certain libraries in in certain parts of the country i mean i don't agree with them but i understand that that happens you know um most of it has to do with a particularly pointed political or religious viewpoint that um, certain regions probably don't agree with yeah, or just anything that makes people generally uncomfortable, I think, is is something that's an impetus for getting a book banned. But in 2011, the 10th most challenged book was To Kill a Mockingbird. But why? That book is so sweet and great. Offensive language and because it includes racism. 
Yeah. The best way to teach your kids like, about racism is to not teach your kids about racism. Yeah. <laughs> it in, it includes racism in the sense that it wants you to know that racism is terrible, I guess. Yeah, well, some people, I don't know. All right. What, in 2005, there's a book called It's Perfectly Normal, Changing Bodies, Growing Up, Sex, and Sexual Health, which was... That, uh, sound, that sounds instructive. Yeah, but it was banned for including abortion, homosexuality, nudity, religious viewpoints, sex education, and it was unsuited to the age group. So I guess just the fear that a 10-year-old might walk into a library and look at a book that's inappropriate is enough. Although you might turn some kid gay by accidentally exposing him to homosexual themes before he's ready for it. Yeah. Like, I don't... Okay. Yeah. Okay. A lot of books that we've read are... Well, in 2002, Harry Potter was number one. Let's let's be real. Those wizards. Because they're little devil kids, right? Yeah, because of Satan. Right? Like Dumbledore, Satan... I don't know what language it's from, but I'm sure J.K. means Satan in some language. <laughs> Satan Rowling wrote that book. Uh, yeah. Okay. Is there is there anything else on the on the banned books list we should talk about, or should we I mean, should we should we bring it home? Well, The Catcher in the Rye is on the list, uh, and the other one that we've read is of Mice and Men is on the list. So a lot yeah. of a lot of classics, but I can of- I guess I can see why. You might want to control young kids' exposure to those ideas. I don't know. Like, well, it's, of- it's, it, they're the kind of books that you wouldn't necessarily want to read if they were divorced from their context. Yes, and and of, the obvious thing from these lists is that I don't know where these books were challenged. Right. Um, I went to school in a state where *To Kill a Mockingbird* and *Of Mice and Men* are curricularly required. But maybe in other states, they are curricularly not required on purpose. So, um, I don't, I don't know. But I want to kind of go through that because it was kind of related to uh, Mark Twain, and serves as a good segue into talking about how listeners can interact with the show, such as our Facebook group, uh, which is facebook.com/slash/overduepod. They can also use our Twitter account, twitter.com slash overduepod. You can write emails to us at overduepod at gmail.com. Is that true? Is that the yes. email address? No, that's that's the one. Um, we check it all the time, we swear. Yeah. <laughs> no, I checked it before we recorded. Um, some people have actually been kind enough to uh, reach out to me in person. Um, there's people in Philadelphia who've been listening. I know Colleen and Terry. Colleen actually is an actress in town uh, who just went and read in the woods uh, after listening to our episode and we had a oh, that's great today which actually cool. i um when we were in chapel hill doing wedding stuff one of Susanna's bridesmaids told me that she was listening to the shows backwards in in order so i don't i, I don't know that she'll actually hear us talking about her but she says that she listens regularly and she likes it a lot so that's yeah like i don't know that's that's really great I, that really makes me feel nice uh leah texted me the other day asking if she should read in the woods before listening to the episode because she thought it sounded cool but didn't want to get spoiled if i thought it was good enough and i said it was uh and my friends amanda and scott i know listened to a couple episodes when they drove down to the beach 
uh, a couple weeks back, which felt great. So thanks, uh, everybody. Like so, it's really yeah. it'd be really great if you engaged with our brand over social media. But and why <laughs> why should they do that, Andrew? Um, because duh, we have this cool website at overduepodcast.com. And one of the things about that website is we have Amazon links to the books that we have read, the books that we are going to read. And if you want to read along with us, you can click those links, you can buy the books, and that gives us a little tiny cut of the proceeds that we can use for hosting and for other things. Um, they can also subscribe to our RSS feed or to our iTunes page. Um, if they do subscribe to us over iTunes, we really appreciate uh, ratings, which take like two seconds and reviews which take 13 seconds <laughs> uh they really they really help us in the um in the rankings and they help other people find our show and we just we it makes us feel good when people say good things about the show especially when it's in writing and so it's like presentable in a court so of can, law just like it's accountable yeah <laughs> hold you to it <laughs> That's basically it, right? Craig, what, yeah. what what are you reading next week? I am reading uh, The Watchmen, or just Watchmen, I guess Watchmen. it's called. Yeah, just Watchmen. It messes me up every time, um, which is a graphic novel by Alan Moore and a bunch of other guys. So we'll talk about that, and I think we're also planning something for Children's Book Week, but we don't have firm plans for that yet. So yeah, so, so if that happens to be the next episode, don't be surprised, but yeah, um, our first first ever graphic novel, it's going to be a fun experiment. I'm sure it's going to be filled with Craig just describing what particular panels look you gotta like. You got to see so. this part where the big blue guy didn't have pants on. <laughs> that's most of me reading that book. Spoiler alert, that's the whole thing. That's the whole book. It's called Watchmen because it's just a bunch of men watching this big blue dude's penis the whole watch, time. Watch his weenie. Watch his weenie Watchmen. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, watch a weenie and try to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>